Hi, I'm Tim Hall, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the program today. You know, it was in Antioch that Christians were first called Christians. Up till then, they were the way and a whole lot of other things. But what is a Christian, really? Today, I'm going to talk about simply, what is a Christian? I think you'll find it entertaining, and I think you'll find it a message that's great for people to come to Christ. I think it'll be a useful tool. Enjoy it today. Thank you for tuning in. I'm going to preach tonight from the NIV. Um, Father, would you anoint your word? Let it be powerful, touch us, stir us, and bless us tonight. And may many people find you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Looking at uh, Acts 11. Verse 26 in the NIV, the New Irish. No, that's wonderful. (laughs) Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. When he found him, he brought him into Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and they taught much or many people and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The first place that people were named Christians was Antioch. Isn't that amazing? No, it's not really. How many would feel their life has just been changed by that thought? They called a lot of things before that, the way and a bunch of things, but they were called Christians. We call ourselves Christians. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? I uh, was talking to a pastor friend of mine and he was talking to his son. His son was about five years of age, and he said to him, James, he's about four, James, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm an Australian. (laughs) So he didn't really know what a Christian was. And the truth is that we ask people, are you a Christian? And most people in Australia think they are. And they'd say, yes, I'm I'm a Christian. But if you ask them what it meant, you're gonna get a variety of ideas, the same in Malaysia. It would be very confusing there, if you asked. All right, there's one miss again. I wouldn't have even laughed myself at that. I'm moving on, I'm, I'm trying. I've been asked to try to break through with Australian humour so that finally we get there. So remember, just laugh. Even if it's not funny, just laugh. <laughs> What is a Christian? Well, I always thought I was a Christian. I was brought up in a Christian home. I was a Methodist. How many have heard of Methodists? I was a Methodist. We were strict Methodists. I was from a family of Methodist preachers. Well, I had a couple there. My great-grandfather was a preacher to the miners and others were lay preachers and my dad was very involved in the church. But we were Methodists. We were Wesleyan Methodists. That is the real strict method. Sunday, we were not allowed to do anything. We had to wear our Sunday clothes all day. We couldn't go outside. We couldn't go and do anything. We were basically locked in on Sunday. We were, my dad was a strict Methodist. He never drank. He did smoke a bit, a few rollies, but, well, my dad didn't swear. Now, In Australia, swearing is a way of life. (laughs) 
In fact, I know some people can get in a sentence of 10 words, eight of them will be swearing. In Asia, do they swear in Asia? Is that a yes or a no or not sure? Yes? Or swearing. It's very naughty. Oh, Australians are naughty. They're always just swearing. Anyway, laugh. My father never swore, but he used the word blessed. So he could get, the, it was Christian swearing, I think. And he could, in one sentence, get about 10 blesseds in. So he would, we'd be inside messing around and he would say, you blessed kids, get blessed out, blessed side. Get blessed out, blessed side. He's got about four in. And take the blessed dog outside. Get that blessed dog out of the blessed house this blessed minute. And, uh, and he'd say, uh, you blessed kids, I should have been blessed killed at the blessed war. But he never swore. But our house was blessed. I mean, we had a blessed dog, the house was blessed. Everybody was blessed. I mean, it was a blessed house. We lived out, it was blessed. Well, we, we lived in Bendigo. Bendigo was Catholic, very strongly Catholic. And we were Methodist. We're Christians. They thought they were Christians. The Baptists thought they were. We knew the only ones were Methodists. We knew that. And it seemed like there were, the Catholics trained their dogs to bite the Protestants. We had our dogs trained. They could spot a Catholic and just go straight for them. There were the Catholic halls and the Methodist halls. Their dogs all looked like pit bulls. Ours was a stupid fox terrier that fought everything and used to mainly lose the fights. But we were brought up in a, a city that was very, uh, it was religious. And there's a huge difference between religion and being a Christian. A huge difference. I went to live in Adelaide. I was 10 years of age when I went over there. And we joined a church in Adelaide that was probably, and I don't want to say bad things about it because it was people in that church that prayed me into the kingdom of God. But if I were honest with you, at the time that I went, it was a very, it was pretty dead. Um, I knew it would be a cold service. Wait for this one. I knew that it would be a cold service because a polar bear handed me the hymn book. <laughs> Did you get that? One day a man died in the back road during the service. Wait for this one. We waiting? Some of you said, Paula Bear? It's all right, I was confused myself. A man died in the back road during the service. They sent for the undertaker. The undertaker came and measured up 52 people before he found the right one. Moving on. The church. Anyway, I know. Fail. The church I went to was very unusual. Back then, the ladies used to wear hats. I'm glad that's gone out of fashion. I'm glad it's gone. The ladies used to wear hats 
And you don't remember this because I'm pretty old now. I remember steam trains and things like that that you've never heard of. And I remember a time when there was no television and no anything. We had nothing. We, if we wanted to send messages, we used smoke screens. Smoke. Yeah, smoke signals. You'd sit in church and the ladies, you'd have to look through among the hats. And the ladies used to wear hats to show they were in submission to their husband. They would have bowls of fruit, birds in cages, um, wild animals. I think even a stuffed possum or something on their head. And uh, you'd sit there as a young kid looking through and church was boring. It was so boring. I remember a great sermon one day that did impact me. It was a great sermon on basket weaving in Fiji. Which went down about this well. Um, <laughs> Church was pretty boring. Let's just say that. I think I'll, I'll move forward here at this point. I, I still remember Sunday school vividly. When I was in Sunday school, I, I, I remember being thrown out. I've been put out of cups for lassoing a young man and dragging him across the floor. I got out of the cubs. You know what cubs are? You don't know what a cub is? It's like a little scout. A little, small ones? Arkela, we'll do our best. Dib, 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 dib. We'll dob, dob, dob. Did that help? No, that didn't help. Okay. Well, I was put out of that anyway. I was kicked out of that for lassoing. And I was thrown out of Sunday school and all they said as I was thrown out was, take no notice of him, he's nothing but a show off. I think you're right. I think you're correct here. And you can see I've changed a lot. But that was church for me, that was Christianity. I thought I was a Christian. But I've discovered something that Christianity is not about just going to church. How many know that? To be a Christian is not just to go to church. I uh, went to church until I was about 18. And at 18, I gave it away. I went to the School of Art. And I trained in the School of Art. And I came to the conclusion that there was a hunger inside me that church was not meeting. There was a vacuum in here that needed something that I was not getting from church. I was going to a church that didn't preach much, that grabbed me, I didn't feel much. And yet there was a hunger on the inside. You know, the truth is that every person in this room, no matter who it is, if you found Christ, you understand when that vacuum is filled. But every person has a vacuum, a God-shaped vacuum on the inside that only God can satisfy. There's a hunger in here, it's in every person. All over the world, people don't even realise it. They have a hunger for something and they're trying to fill it. They're trying to fill it with alcohol. They're trying to fill it with sex. They're trying to fill it with drugs. They're trying to, and all it does is dig a deeper, deeper hole. Addiction is just that hole getting bigger and bigger. And no matter how much a person tries to satisfy it, it just gets deeper. That's addiction. And people are getting addicted by trying to satisfy or find satisfaction in something other than God. 
I left church at 18, turned my back on God. To be honest, when it came to Easter, I wasn't interested. Christmas, anything really much to do with God was off the agenda for me. I, if there was a God there, and I always sort of felt there was probably a God there. I felt like uh, I was a school teacher, I'd been educated. I, I was a senior master at the end of three years as a school teacher. I rated myself reasonably intelligent, but I, and I believed that man could not exist, that we couldn't exist without, without a, uh, a great mind, without intelligence. We couldn't have come into being to even understand the human body takes intelligence. And the ultimate question is, where did the intelligence come from? That didn't come out of a big bang in space. And I knew that. This machine was too complex, far too complex. When I painted paintings, I could never understand how you could take the thoughts and feelings, the thoughts in your mind and the, the deep things of your spirit, and you could put paint on the canvas in such a way that you could move people's emotions. And people could look at the stuff you were producing and be impacted. And I always thought, how can you take your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions and everything else and, and through electrical waves go down through this incredible body that we, well, mine's incredible, but uh, <laughs> through this machine, which is so awesome with all the joints. Try designing something that will do what a human arm does. Try designing it. And I thought, how can you get this and this out through here and put your feelings onto a canvas? And I was challenged by that. But I didn't want to know if the Creator was there, I wanted to live a certain life. And I was going to fill this vacuum with whatever I needed to fill it. And I just went after alcohol and crazy living for a number of years, just crazy. But the hunger got deeper and deeper and I began to delve into spiritual things. The problem is if you don't go after God and you try to touch other stuff that's spiritual, you will really damage yourself. You start to reach into other spiritual realms and let them somehow get involved in that vacuum in your life. You are creating chaos. And I tried to contact the spirits of geniuses. I felt that if you could contact the spirits of the great dead geniuses, Beethoven and Tchaikovsky and, and the artists, Matisse and Van Gogh, and it must have been floating around somewhere. I thought if I could consult them and draw on their genius, even allow them to possess my soul, that I could create great masterpieces. And that's the thinking that I had when I left the School of Art. I had branched out into a lot of occult thinking. I became firmly convinced of reincarnation. It's crazy to say, but I, I became convinced that I was a reincarnated Arnhem Land Aboriginal elder. I used to listen to corroboree music. I sit in my room listening to corroborees and playing a didgeridoo that I had in my room and music sticks and listening to Eastern music, especially Indian sitar music and, and uh, feeding on stuff that was Eastern and uh, totally convinced that I was, I'd lived before, lived lives before. And, and then I was consulting spiritual things and then I started to get very interested in 
haunted places and anything with ghosts. And I was fascinated and used to go to haunted places with some of my mad friends walking with torches, waiting to hear stuff and experience supernatural stuff. There became a, a passion for the supernatural, but it was not filling the gap that only a supernatural God can fill. Instead of that, I started to get baggage. I started to get demon powers. One of my friends spoke to me one day and he said, Tim, I have a poltergeist ghost. I've got a thing in my house called Casper. And he said, it moves everything around and moves the house around and stuff, opens doors, moves furniture, comes in the night. I went over to his house. I was playing, uh, I was playing chess with him. And suddenly that thing came into the room and the room went cold and I felt a, an entity, a spirit trying to possess the vacuum in my life that was reserved for God, trying to, hold, trying to possess me. I don't know who prayed for me that night, but I remember sitting there absolutely terrified until that thing moved out and suddenly the room went warm, the door slammed shut. My problem was I had 30 kilometers to drive home through the pine forests and I got home really quick <laughs> very quick trip home but for a couple of years after that I would wake up with things attacking me at my throat choking me entities and spirits you see instead of allowing instead of I thought I might have been a Christian but I had one thing missing the great vacuum that only Jesus can fill had not been filled. And I was trying to reach and understand stuff that I was never given at church. I've often said to people, if someone came to me when I was 12 years of age and shared with me how to live for Jesus, I would have opened the door, but I tried to find it all myself. By 26, I drank so heavily, I don't even wanna think back to the number of nights that I was drunk, I would say that it would be at least five nights a week. Absolutely rolling drunk. Blowing brain cells, driving my car 90 miles an hour, crashing my car, coming home, the number of times I should have been killed. Mad living, drunk all the time, trying to find some common sense in a world that had gone mad, but there was a gap and there was a hunger and it got deeper. And I began to search and I began to, when I was drunk particularly, walk down to the backyard and say, I think you're real. I think you're real. I think you're real. And when I'd been drinking, as I'd talk to God, I think you're real. I went back to the city to try and get a new start and I struggled because alcohol held me pretty strong. But there was a hunger that was getting stronger. A little Irish woman was praying for me and the hunger was growing. And I thought, I've got to answer this. I've got to answer this hunger. And I recall going along to a couple of churches. I went to the Methodist church in the city and I went to some churches and I sat there. I was waiting for something to meet this hunger, waiting for something that would take hold of me, waiting for something dynamic that would rush in and flood the recess of my soul. I remember going to a meeting and it was advertised Jesus revolution and I walked in and as I walked in I was met by a big man and he he said young man I want to say something to you there's a great call on your life a great call he said God has something for you and I said thanks very much 
I went in there and I was overwhelmed by the presence that was there. I wasn't saved, but I was overwhelmed by something and I thought I'd like to keep this feeling with me. I didn't know that that awesome feeling that I was experiencing I could have come flooding on the inside and saturating me to the very depths of my being. I tried to keep the feeling. That week I went to my mother's house and she said to me, I hear you're getting religious. I said, I am, I think. So there's a big church up the road. They've got buses. It's called Clemson Assembly of God. It was Pastor Andrew Evans, Pastor Russell's dad's church. They said, they've got buses. I said, buses? Wow, I'm going. And I went on a Sunday night. I had an old coat that I used to drink in all the time and it was pretty wild. And I walked in and when I got in there, there were a lot of kids from the school where I taught. And I thought, oh. And I knew that I probably needed to go and sit right in the back. I was, a couple of guys spoke to me, but I went and sat right in the back row. And as I sat there, something was stirring me. I started to feel that great presence of the living God. I started to feel that overwhelming sense that there was a supernatural God in the house. As the preacher preached, I didn't like it, but I knew something was happening. I didn't like his preaching. He seemed to be nice to everybody except me, telling everybody that they're blessed and loved, but if I didn't get myself right, there was a heaven and a hell to face. There's a hell to face. Tonight, I wanna say to you, there is a hell to face. There's a heaven, there's a hell. In this building tonight, every person here is gonna spend eternity in one of two places. There's no in between, no purgatory. We're gonna spend eternity either in heaven with Jesus or separated forever. That's not what I say, that's what the Bible says. And I knew I was going to hell. But I didn't like the preacher. And I wanted to get out of there as fast as I could. And he said, if tonight you want to meet Jesus, tonight you want Jesus Christ to meet you, he said, lift your hand. And I thought, I don't like you. I love him dearly now. But not that night. Everything within me wanted nothing to do with it. I couldn't get out because there's a big guy blocking us, a plump guy. I'd hate to be plump. And he said, if you want Jesus, why don't you lift up your hand? I thought, no, I, uh, I do, but I don't want to acknowledge to you, which is pride. And as he turned to walk away, I thought, I'll lift my hand right now when he can't see it. And I went, zoom, zoom, and he turned. He said, yes, young man, up the top there with the long hair. <laughs> Spotted, I thought, he's got eyes in the... Pastor Russell's got the same thing, eyes in the back of the head. I don't miss anything. Pastor Russell misses nothing, nothing. Nothing. I stood there at the back and I tell you, I was shaking. Everything in my life was shaking, but I could feel this vacuum. And all of a sudden I sensed that maybe this is becoming a Christian. Maybe in the next few minutes, this thing that I've longed for is gonna be fulfilled. Maybe this hunger of my soul. And I thought, I wonder if this is Christianity. See, it's not about the church you go to. It's about him coming in here and satisfying the deepest longings. The Bible says he's the lover of your soul. He's the prince of peace. He's the lover and the bridegroom. His love for you 
cannot even be calculated. His thoughts towards you are of the sands of the seas tonight. And I knew that I was having an encounter that night with the God of eternity. Well, I didn't really want to walk down to the front. Too many students down there, but something was happening. And he said, if you want to give your life, come down now. And I thought, no, I'm not coming down there. But something is happening. But everything within me, I think, wanted to go. But it was my legs that finally decided. And they started walking. It's very difficult. I was saying, legs, 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 where are you going? It's very hard when your legs are going to not go with them. You're attached. Anyone notice that? You're attached. Your legs, hip bone, backbone, they're joined. I was on my, I'm just explaining that. I was on my way down to the front and I felt demons going. I felt the power of hell going. I felt stuff going out of me and off me. And as I walked to the front, I thought, I'm entering into something so remarkable tonight. And I got to the front. And I remember standing at the front, Pastor Andrew, God had spoken to him. Said, I'm gonna give you a young man and you're gonna train him as a Timothy. Gonna raise him as a man of God. And I think he looked down at me and God said, there's your Timothy. And he must have said, Lord, you got that one wrong. But he came down to me and he looked me right in the eye and he said, son, what's your name? I said, my name's Tim. Tears began to run down his face. That's 40, 42 or three years ago now. It's actually 42 and a half years ago. And tears ran down his face and he put his hand on me and prayed and the glory of God went through my body like a fire. And suddenly that aching vacuum was filled with something so wonderfully eternal that I knew that the blood of Christ had cleansed me and that Jesus Christ had come to take residence within me. That's Christianity. It's a living relationship with a King. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I trust you've enjoyed the message. I love preaching it. I'll be honest with you, I enjoyed it thoroughly. But if you've got questions or, or you'd like to make comments with us, by all means, follow us up on our social media. We would love to hear from you with Facebook or Twitter or whatever. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for taking the time to enjoy the program today. God bless you.